Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. This is The Lottery Podcast on Blue Wire Network. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. This week's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. And uh, yeah, this is a weird week to to really talk about anything other than what's going on in the world. I haven't um, posted anything on Twitter in terms of uh, articles I've written or analysis or anything sports related. It just seems weird to do that. I actually was hesitant about even recording an episode this week um, of the podcast to, to talk about prospects. I mean, how do you talk about prospects at a time like this? Um, and so I really haven't said anything publicly about it. I think it's important that I do say something. Um, and, you know, I haven't said anything on Twitter. It's just I, I always feared that using social media um, as a way to express yourself, things get lost in translation. I think it's probably better coming from my mouth, so I chose to use this platform to speak up um, and, and speak for the Black Lives Matter movement. I live in New York City. I have seen some crazy stuff over the past couple of days. Um, and, of course, nothing, none of it pales in comparison to what black people have seen and gone through, uh, obviously, over centuries. But even, you know, at this time, uh, the racism is still going on. Um, it's still blatantly obvious I mean, to even, you know, when, when people put out those all lives matter movements, the people who say all lives matter, they just don't, they either A, don't get it, or they refuse to acknowledge it, which is probably even worse. Obviously, no one race or life is superior to another. But in this particular moment in time, black lives matter because black lives aren't getting treated the same as others. I mean, that's why the All Lives Matter people, I, I mean, it's like, my body, they, they are clearly not understanding what's going on right now in this country. It is painfully obvious that there is a large contingent of white people out there who think they're superior to black people. And there's a big chunk of them in law enforcement. The few bad apples argument does not work when we're talking about law enforcement. I mean, Chris Rock, I've seen this go around on social media the past all days and it sums it up perfectly. Chris Rock said, well, it's not, you know, most cops, it's just a few bad apples. But some jobs can't have bad apples. American Airlines can't be like, most of our pilots like to land. I mean, if you watch that George Floyd video, as painful as it is to watch, you clearly saw on that cop's face, like, I'm better than this guy. He needs to know where he stands underneath my knee. I mean, he clearly had this complex where he sees himself above this black guy who's underneath him. It's, it's, it's crazy. And as these events unfold over the past eight, nine days of protesting, more and more of these cops are exposed. I just saw a video where cops were called to a scene to arrest vandals and looters. And when they got there, their natural instinct was to attack the black lives who were the owners of the shop who were the ones calling the cops 
and the ones who needed the help. And immediately the cops' initial reaction was, you know, get them against the wall and, and anchor. It was like scary to watch. That was just one incident. I mean, how many times have we seen them go after peaceful protesters and kind of just group them in with the looters? Now, the looting, I mean, the looting is, I'm looking out my window and I just see people randomly breaking in windows, you know, senseless destruction. I mean, on, on one side of me, I know there's a, a group of people who are just taking advantage of this situation as an opportunity to steal without getting caught. Obviously, I don't support the looting and the ruining of these businesses. On the other side of me, I mean, the peaceful protests, they haven't worked, right? I mean, taking a knee hasn't worked. Marching around chanting hasn't worked. The racism, the killing of innocent black lives just continues. I mean, black lives have been kind of put in a corner here, asked to fight back and to fight out of that corner. The peaceful protest hasn't worked, and eventually there's going to be a tipping point, a boiling point, and we're at it. This is it right now. The question is, will this all be enough to create change? I mean, you hate that it has to take another innocent black live dead to stir up this whole conversation again. But right now, the conversation has never been louder. And hopefully, some type of change can come of this. You know, I don't know how you change an old white racist mind at this point of his life. I think the hope is that you get it in his head that everybody's watching. You can't get away with some of the things that you think you can get away with. Or ideally, you know, the good cops can smoke out the bad cops. And not just in law enforcement everywhere. We can expose the racists and somehow eliminate their opportunity to do bad. But I mean, with all this going on, I think the hope is that for an older racist who you're probably not going to change their mind, they're too afraid to act on their racism knowing that we're all watching. And meanwhile, I have a lot of faith in this younger generation who's, I mean, they've grown, they're growing up with this right now. Uh, and, and I think that they're on track to do a very good job of almost preaching equality into existence or at least turning over every possible stone towards creating change in this world. Now, along with that, I'm sure you've been hearing and reading stuff like this all week. We did get some positive news in the sports world. Not that we should be taking our minds off what's going on, but Woj reported the NBA is coming back. It sounds like 22 teams will be at Disney. That's the 16 teams who are currently projected to go to the playoffs, plus six more who were destined for the lottery, I mean, had uh, the season been canceled. Now we got Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento, San Antonio, Phoenix, and Washington with a chance to get into the playoffs um, if they're within four games of the eighth seed. There's a little play-in tournament to get in. I mean, I'd watch out for Portland. I mean, it's weird to even think that Portland is a projected lottery team right now behind Lillard and McCollum, but they're getting back use of Nurkic, Zach Collins. I mean, this is a playoff caliber team. Uh, I would not want to face them in a play-in tournament. I mean, when they, if they get hot, they can go deep. They can win a couple rounds, I think, of the playoffs um, just behind their offensive firepower. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, who winds up in the lottery. Uh, 
Um, of course, the top or bottom eight teams of the lottery um, will not participate at Disney. Golden State, Cleveland, Minnesota have the best chance of getting the number one pick at 14%, followed by the Hawks at 12.5%, Pistons at 10.5%, Knicks at 9%, Bulls 7.5%, and Charlotte Hornets at 6%. I think a storyline to watch here, Memphis Grizzlies. Grizzlies right now are in the playoffs. But of course, you know, they're a young team. They'll be vulnerable in this weird situation against uh, Portland or New Orleans or San Antonio, you know, in a play-in tournament. Um, And if Memphis does get into the lottery um, and they get knocked out of the playoffs, first off, so Memphis owes the Celtics their first-round pick. It's top six protected. So if they go into the lottery and wind up getting lucky and getting one of those top few picks, uh, they keep their pick. And if that happens, they end up giving the Celtics an unprotected 2021 pick. Something tells me that the Grizzlies would actually prefer to give the Celtics their first-round pick this year. You don't want to give up an unprotected pick in 2021 when the projected draft class is supposed to look a whole lot better. Also, the Timberwolves, they get Brooklyn's first-round pick uh, protected 1-14. through So if the Nets miss out in the playoffs, they'll keep their lottery pick. If they make the playoffs, it goes to Minnesota. Otherwise, I think the biggest storyline and the thing I'm watching most and most casual NBA fans, Zion Williamson. He's got a chance to take the Pelicans to the playoffs. I mean, how cool would that be? In this weird format, if Williamson in his first, like, real season, after two months of uh, stoppage, returns and carries the Pelicans into the playoffs at 19. I mean, you almost get the feeling that the NBA invited those six other teams from the lottery just so they can get Zion at Disney. The Wizards would be interesting to watch if Wall returns. I don't think he's going to. Ian Begley uh, from SNY just reported that while the Wizards have talked that they don't plan on playing Wall, there are other Rival teams who expect to see Wall. I don't really know what that means. I mean, naturally, I guess that Wall doesn't just suit up a play. That seems like not likely to happen. But it'd be interesting to see if he does. That would be pretty cool. Um, Wizards would suddenly become uh, a a fun team at Disney to watch. Anyway, it sounds like, from what I'm hearing, they might have the draft lottery held in August and the NBA draft in mid-October so far away there's still no word on what the pre-draft process is going to look like I guess if we're talking about a draft in mid-October I mean that's that's you know four months away uh, things can change maybe there will be workouts even if it means like a limited amount of people in the gym including prospects um, including front office members but we'll see anyway um, you know I've been doing a lot of film watching over and over. I mean, I'm at the point where like I've seen almost like 25 full games for all the top 60 or so prospects. I figured it'd be worth talking about some of the guys who I think I have higher than the consensus. You know, if you looked at my board, some of the names that you'd be like, wow, you, you, you're pretty high on that guy. Um, Cause there's a handful, I think. Um, and I do look at other boards and I do talk to a lot of people about who they have. I think it's just interesting to hear other opinions. I know some out there will say, I don't look at anybody. I just care about, 
not saying I it, they changed my mind or anything, but it's nice to see what other people are saying. I think uh, to have knowledge of other people's draft boards is kind of important, actually. You know, if you're an NBA team, I think you want to know what the 29 other teams are thinking. Um, so I'll give you some of the guys I think I have higher than most. Uh, before I do that, we got a shout out to Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You could still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7, or you could participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Phil Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit BetOnline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet online, your online wagering solution. I actually just made a recent bet. I bet on the Knicks to hire Tim Thibodeau. I just can't see any other scenario playing out. But anyway, back to um, the big board. I think the guy I have most, uh, the guy I have highest compared to anybody else is LSU's Skylar Mays. I have Mays actually ranked number eighteen. I mean, really, the difference between eighteen and twenty-two is so minimal. Um, but, but I, I, I mean, I'm so high on Mays, um, and I've seen other boards have him in the forties, fifties, and I can understand why you're not super high on him. In fact, it took me like, you know, three years to come around, but I, I, he's just so well-rounded and so smart with some sneaky athletic ability. I just see another Malcolm Brogdon type player, like a star role player. I don't know if he's ever going to be a, I shouldn't even use the word star. I think that's being a little bit ambitious. But, you know, some of the questions I had about Brogdon's game translating, I initially had about Mays. Kind of, you know, not super explosive, play a little bit hunched over. Is he going to be able to create separation at the next level? You know, not really an eye test standout, but I'm buying his effectiveness this past year, and the jump he made as a shooter is obviously big. A couple numbers I'll throw out at you. First of all, the guy plays on and off the ball. So well-rounded. 98th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler. 89th percentile as a spot-up player. 62% true shooting percentage. I mean, some of his finishes... Go look at highlights of his finishing package. He's got some unbelievable finishes. Um, And I'm buying them. Shot 41.5% off the dribble. 39% on threes. 3.2 assists, despite, you know, sharing the ball with a lot of people. He's just so versatile, such a high IQ uh, player. I mean, off the floor also, just a, you know, he wants to be a doctor if the NBA doesn't work out. I mean, he's that type of guy. I'm just somebody I want to bet on. Um, obviously, my best case scenario is another Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, but a more realistic projection. I just see an NBA role player, a good locker room guy, uh, somebody you just want to bet on. Um, and in this particular draft, you know, once you get into the 20s, it's like hit or miss. I, I I just see Mays, if he goes to a good team where he just, you know, takes what the defense gives him, makes good decisions, knocks down open shots, I just see a pro. And, uh, you know, he's one of my biggest value picks because I assume he's not going to go where I have him on my board, 18 to 23. I assume he's going to go somewhere in the second round. And to me, he is, you know, one of the ultimate value picks of this year's draft. I have San Diego State's Malachi Flynn, like number 25 on my board. Maybe not a starting caliber player. But I'm, I just feel really good about his 
potential to be a good backup um, and to just add value in his role. 96 percentile pick and roll ball handler, the threes per game, and a bunch of them from like six feet beyond the college arc. 1.8 steals. He's a pesky defender. Usually, guy, you know, you look at him, he's kind of scrawny, 6'1. Most guys with his physical tools, you say, well, who's he going to guard? I actually think it's the other way around with him. He can be a very pesky, smart uh, defender, a competitive guy. Analytically, he was like top five in, in the college basketball in both win shares and box plus minus. I just, again, I think he's a, a pro who's going to go in the second round, and whoever gets him is going to get tremendous value, particularly if he goes to a playoff team where his job is to run a second unit, make good decisions, make passing reads, knock down open shots, uh, and just provide some competitiveness on defense. Uh, again, I see a value pick with Malachi Flynn. I have Jared Butler from Baylor as uh, my number 26 guy. I know he's, in most places, I see him in the 30s and 40s. I think I have him one tier higher. And I could, uh, another guy I understand why you could just totally not even see an NBA prospect at 6'3", he doesn't really have the size or athleticism of a typical shooting guard, and he's not a point guard, so, you know, he kind of fits that tweener mold, although I think the word tweener is kind of, doesn't really exist in today's league. Now it's all about versatility, and I'm buying his. 75th percentile in pick-and-roll ball handling, spot-ups, and shooting off screens. He can do a little bit of everything. I love his pull-up game. He's not the quickest, most explosive, but he's got a very, very tight handle. Maybe if I were to pick the guy with the best handles outside of LaMelo, Jared Butler is in that conversation. Very crafty off the dribble. He finds a way to slip through cracks, get into the lane, make passes inside the arc, inside traffic. Great vision and skill. Finishes through contact. Nice floater touch. Uh, I just think he's got enough skill, enough craftiness his game to make it work of course not as an NBA star but I think when we get into the 20s 30s we're just talking about finding value NBA rotation players I think Butler's going to find his way even if it takes a couple years in the G League which is what I suspect I think Butler goes to the G League for a year um, and just eventually kind of works his way into the NBA I just I just see it with him I have Vanderbilt Saban Lee at number 42 Uh, honestly I don't really see him on any of the boards I've looked at, and another guy who just, uh, you know, I was high on Saban Lee last year, and kind of, um, he's one of those guys, I'm just on his bandwagon, I just, um, his explosiveness just really, really knows how to put pressure on the basket, had 24 dunks this year for a 6-2 guard, I mean, there there was only two or three other 6-2 guards with more dunks, he's got to obviously improve around the perimeter, but I think he's shown enough flashes, you know, to be capable from the outside, Average four assists per game, and that was mostly without Aaron Naismith, uh, who was injured. Um, I, I just uh, I just see a pro, um, and even if he doesn't really fit a particular box, he's just uh, he's got a special driving ability um, in transition, uh, coming off ball screens, blowing by guys in the half court, um, and he's got enough skill to go with his athleticism. I think for him to to catch on and kind of carve out a career. I have Arkansas's Mason Jones, number 45 on my board. SEC's leading scorer, 22 points per game. I think he deserves late first round, second round looks. Uh, tremendous shot maker. Um, one of the best transition players in all of college basketball. Average 3.4 assists. 
even though he wasn't really used as a playmaker, he's just generates so much attention that he kind of exploited it and, and used it to, to create open shots for teammates. One of the best isolation scores in the country. I think the big, if there's a knock or, or skepticism about Mason Jones, is that is he going to be able to play off the ball? You know, he's so used to getting the touches as an isolation guy in a couple of, you know, five dribble pull ups, which you won't really get that freedom in the NBA to do. But 6'5, high level scoring ability, excellent in the open floor. I think he needs the right role, but if he gets it, I could see his career kind of taking off and, and being a steal in this draft. I'm still pretty high on Killian Tilly. I mean, I'm waiting on medical reports, if they're ever released, to determine how high I think he's worth taking. But if he checks out medically, I think he's worth taking in the 20s. 6'10", shot over 40% from three in four consecutive years. I mean, he is a proven knockdown shooter with you know power forward, center size, and plenty of skill. Maybe not as a guy who's going to face up and beat you off the dribble, but passing skill and finishing skill with hook shots and defensive IQ. He's a stretch four or five who makes good reads and I think can defend his position well enough. I think the right team finds a complete steal in Tilly as long as he can hold up physically. He's had a lot of lower leg injuries, of course, and every time you bring him up with scouts, it's the first thing that they mention, durability. But you get to the 20s, 30s of this draft, the potential reward is worth the risk that's there from a couple of college injuries. I haven't given up on Michigan State's Aaron Henry. I mean, he came into this year viewed as a breakout candidate after a, a big NCAA tournament game. I think it was against LSU. Um, he's 6'6", 210. A really smart defensive player who has the athleticism to act on those on that IQ and make plays on the ball. Offensively, he just didn't do enough this year in terms of creation, in terms of shooting consistency, but he's got a capable jumper. He's a good passer. He can slash. He can do enough off-ball stuff along with his defense where he just kind of has to get better in, in areas that are totally correctable. And you can't teach the physical tools or the defensive anticipation but the skills set that he has, those particular skills in that set, have the chance to improve. And if they do, he's another guy who's going to be a steal in this draft. He could actually go back to college. I, I, I think he left that open. I forget what agent he hired. But I think he hired a, one of the certified ones, which means he'll be able to go back um, if there's ever, a, a, they set a date. The date to withdraw, they pushed it back because we don't even know when the draft is going to be. But yeah, well, his case will be one of the most interesting in terms of who's going to stay in the draft, who's going to go back. But I think Henry is still worth drafting this year, um, in the second round at least, despite what most people consider to be a disappointing season. Some guys are kind of soured on the more I watch or the more I think. And you hate to make uh, big decisions or big changes this late after watching him so many times. Um, and I question my own judgment here. You know, Denny Avdia, who I've had, you know, in that four to seven range all season. Um, maybe I've had too many, too many uh, skeptics in my ear. But Avdia, I'm kind of moving towards the late lottery, as opposed to the early lottery. Yeah, I guess I am questioning whether he's going to be able to create for himself and whether he's going to be a good enough shooter to to kind of compensate for the inability to to beat guys off the dribble um, and, and be a playmaker, which we saw 
at the U20 European Championships, average over five assists, but maybe that was kind of fluky. Uh, he was so much better than the other guys in that particular competition. Uh, but NBA level, yeah, maybe he's not going to be a playmaker. Maybe he's not going to be a, a one-on-one scorer. And if he's not, he better be a damn good shooter and career, like 57% free throw shooter. Yeah, it raises questions. Although I do think he'll be a, a competent three-point shooter just based on the eye test and based on his reported work ethic. Again, I think he's an NBA player. There's no doubt in my mind he's an NBA player. I'll still say he has a fly, high floor, but I think the likelihood of him reaching star potential may be lower than I initially kind of projected. And I just thought of something. I'm going to backtrack to guys who I have higher than others. Patrick Williams from Florida State. I forgot to mention him. I've talked about Devin Vassell, by the way, his teammate, a lot, so I won't get into Vassell. Vassell is number five, six on my board. Patrick Williams I have at number 10. And there's not a lot of stats I can throw out at you that will back up my my ranking. I just see a guy who is 6'8", 225, who can do a little bit of everything in terms of spot-up shooting, pull-up shooting, pick-and-roll passing, defensive playmaking. And by all accounts, I hear he's a great kid off the floor, a hard worker, a humble, and somebody who's going to maximize his potential based on his character and work ethic and all that. Um, I think he's a, just a very unique type of player. I mean, I'm I, I'm hoping that he goes to the Spurs. When I'm looking at the, the projected lottery, the Spurs right now projected to pick 11th. I'm hoping he goes to San Antonio. That's where I think he's going to maximize his potential most. Uh, however, I'm still betting on his development. Again, his trajectory trajectory could be really, really interesting based on his strengths, both physically and skill-wise. You don't typically see 6'8", 225-pounders who can run pick and rolls and dish with their offhand, you know, on live dribble passes. Uh, you don't typically see guys that strong around the basket who can also, you know, pull up, um, you know, on the break. He's just got a very interesting skill package. He's still 18 years old. Uh, he's not going to be an impact guy right away. He kind of reminds me um, of like a, a mini version, a forward version of Bam Adebayo. The Bam, of course, is like defensive player of the year type. And he's also a center. I'm talking about a 3-4 with Williams, who doesn't have the same defense. But in terms of things he wasn't able to show in college, like Bam didn't show 70% of what he's showing now in Miami. He didn't show it in Kentucky. And I think that's going to be the same type of thing with Patrick Williams, where there's so many older players and so many mouths to feed at Florida State. We didn't really get to see exactly everything he could do. And I don't think he's capable of showing it to us right now. But looking ahead, I could totally see Patrick Williams like unleash this, like, totally uh, versatile skill set um, and that's really really unique for a player with his physical attributes back to guys who I have maybe a little bit lower um, than some others Kyra Lewis I've talked about Kyra, Kyra Lewis a lot I've seen some people have him top 10 uh, I've seen him in the 20s I kind of have him in between I put him actually around uh, 19 20 uh, listen my thing with Kyra is I just don't it's harder for me to picture a lot of upside with him. I think he's got like Ish Smith type of potential. Somebody who's going to stick around a long time for his ability to break down defenses with his speed and quickness. But my personal eye test, I just maybe I question his ability to separate one on one, both as a driver and a jump shooter. Like I don't love his pull up game. In my in my opinion, you need to have a big time pull up game as a point guard if you want to have a lot of scoring upside. And I just don't see it with his pull-up game. Um, 
I, again, I do buy him being an NBA point guard and maybe even a starting caliber point guard, uh, depending on who's around him and the situation and all that. You know, his value is his ability to beat his guy off the dribble um, or, you know, get you a quick bucket in transition. But I'm just not so sure I'm in love with his scoring upside without that pull-up game or the ability to easily separate around the perimeter um, or really create a lot of separation around the basket where he's had some really nice finishes but didn't really shoot a high percentage around the hoop. Francis Teo Maladon, who started the year, viewed as a potential top 10 pick. Uh, I have him in the late 20s. Again, I'm seeing more of a you know best case backup point guard, backup guard in general, probably play some two guard, balance jump shot, but just not quick enough to beat guys off the dribble, not a good defender, um, just really not elite uh, more special in any aspect of the game, both physically or fundamentally. Uh, the versatility to me is his big selling point. I think he can make spot-up jumpers. He can play and pick and rolls. Um, he, you know, he's crafty enough inside the arc. But, uh, again, I think he's going to struggle around the basket. I think he's going to struggle to create his own shot. And I don't think he's a good enough shooter or defender to have a ton of value. Um, so, to me, he's a late, a late 20s pick, you know. Um, as I talked to, you know, one NBA guy earlier, he's like, yeah, nice prospect, like, chance to be a good backup in our league. Um, and that's kind of where I've been leaning also. Precious Achua from Memphis. I have him much lower than anybody else, and maybe it's maybe I'm a little too harsh. I did the same thing with Nazir Little, although I'm not really sure how Little's career is going to go. But it's kind of the same argument for me. Like, I don't see one translatable skill that, that Precious Achua has. I mean, if you look at... He ranked in the 29th percentile on post-ups, 23rd on spot-ups, 39 out of isolation, 47th on cuts. He was 13 of 40 from three, shot 60% on free throws. He had 30 assists to 87 turnovers. Like, he's he's not really good in any one skill. Um, the value to Precious Achua, I think, right now is his defensive versatility. As a guy who's 6'10", 225, who can block shots and switch around the perimeter. But offensively, I mean, I don't really know what his purpose is. Um... And unless he develops into a good enough jump shooter, I mean, I think best case, you're just looking at like, a, you know, a, a backup big guy, energizer, um, nobody worth taking in the lottery where a lot of people have him. I have him late 20s, early 30s. And that's really not to say that he's going to be the 35th best player in this draft. I just rather take my chances on a bunch of other guards. Kind of the same thing with Zeke Naji from Arizona. Like, Najee's probably, I have Najee in, like, the 37, 38 range. Like, I don't think he's going to be the 37th or 38th best player from this draft class. I think he'll be better than that. But there's a whole bunch of guys I'd rather swing and miss on before. Like, there are, you know, Robert Woodard from Mississippi State is 6'8", who shot 41% from three and is a tremendous versatile defender. Uh, I'd rather take my chances on a guy like that, even though maybe his floor is lower than Najee who is a big-time offensive rebounder, hard worker, 6'11", skilled around the basket, but I just don't really see any upside to him. You know, I think best case, Zeke Naji is like a, you know, a, a low-end starter who's totally replaceable, and there's a lot of them out there. Um, or, or more realis- realistically, he's like a backup big man. Um, I'd just rather take my chances on other guys, including guys like Cassius Winston, 
or Devon Dotson or Desmond Bain. I, I, I'd rather have, I'd rather take my chances on these guards and wings than get a high floor backup big guy. And last, I've talked about Jaden McDaniels a lot. If you've listened to me, you know I'm not a big fan of his game. I, I don't see any one skill translating, and I don't think he has the intangibles to compensate in any other way. Um, and then Vernon Carey. You know, Vernon Carey was such a productive college player. Uh, you know, what's his fit in today's league? He, he can't guard anybody away from the basket. Um, and around the basket, he's not really a big-time shot blocker. Um, and... Uh, and offensively, I mean, yeah, he's a good low post player, but like, you know, where a team's going to feature him in the post, you know, maybe a second unit who wa- who wants to add like a, a you know a physical score down low. But I, there's just so many other guys like I keep mentioning. I'd rather take a chance on than than Vernon Carey, whose best case scenario is a backup center, or honestly, a, a starting center who gives up as many points as he gets you. I guess we'll end on that note for now. Um, apologize for the depressing tone. I didn't really want to bring a guest on also to, to talk politics and, and talk about this. I think I wanted this to be my kind of own opportunity to get my thoughts out there on uh, such a sensitive subject and important subject um, in terms of Black Lives Matter. But uh, you know, we'll be back next week. Hopefully the world is in a little bit better place um, than it is today. And uh, you know, reach out to me if you have any questions any thoughts and uh you know we'll talk again uh, next week